The Boy Who Would Be Czar On a frosty March day in 1881, the boy who would become Russia's last ruler glimpsed his future. That morning, Nicholas's grandfather, Tsar Alexander II, was riding through the streets of St. Petersburg when a man stepped off the sidewalk. He hurled a bomb at the imperial carriage. Miraculously, the Tsar went uninjured, but many in his retinue were not as lucky. Concerned about his people, Alexander stepped from his carriage. That's when a second bomb was thrown. This one landed between his feet. An explosion of fire and shrapnel tore away Alexander's left leg, ripped open his abdomen, and mangled his face. Barely conscious, he managed one last command. To the palace, to die there. Horrified members of the imperial family rushed to his side. Thirteen-year-old Nicholas, dressed in a blue sailor suit, followed a thick trail of dark blood up the white marble stairs to his grandfather's study. There he found Alexander lying on a couch, one eye closed, the other staring blankly at the ceiling. Nicholas's father, also named Alexander, was already in the room. My father took me up to the bed, Nicholas later recalled. Papa, my father said, raising his voice, your ray of sunshine is here. I saw the eyelashes tremble. Grandfather moved a finger. He could not raise his hands nor say what he wanted to, but he undoubtedly recognized me. Deathly pale, Nicholas stood helplessly at the end of the bed as his beloved grandfather took his last breath. The emperor is dead announced the court physician. Nicholas's father, now the new czar, clenched his fists. The Russian people would pay for this. Alexander II had been a reformer, the most liberal czar in centuries. He'd freed the serfs, peasant slaves, and modernized the courts. But his murder convinced his son, Alexander III, that the people had been treated too softly. If order was to be maintained, they needed to feel the whip. And for the next thirteen years of his reign, Alexander III made sure they did. Young Nicholas, standing beside his grandfather's deathbed, knew nothing of politics. Frightened, he covered his face with his hands and sobbed bitterly. He was left he later confessed, with a presentiment, a secret conviction that I am destined for terrible trials. Romanov Rule Nicholas's family, the Romanovs, had sat on the Russian throne for almost 300 years, ruling their subjects under a form of government called autocracy. In an autocracy, one person, in this instance the Tsar, holds all the power. The Romanovs claimed God had given them this power, had chosen them to rule the Russian people. As God's representative on earth, they maintained, the Tsar should be left to run the country according to his own ideas of duty and right.
This meant that all of Russia's political power was in the Tsar's hands. Unlike most other nations, Russia had no constitution, no Congress, no court of appeal for its citizens, or Supreme Court to review or limit the Tsar's power. There were only two restrictions. He had to abide by the teachings of the Russian Orthodox Church, of which he was the official head, and he had to follow the laws of succession, those rules determining inheritance of the throne. On all other matters, the Tsar was supreme, and he made laws and policies according to his will, or whim. The Tsar's will was carried out by a multitude of officials and administrators. Below him sat thirteen ministers collectively called the Imperial Cabinet. Chosen by the Tsar, each of these noblemen headed a large government department. There was a chief minister, or prime minister, as well as ministers of war, finance, justice, and the interior, to name a few. Their job was to implement the Tsar's decrees and to offer advice. Whether the Tsar chose to listen was his choice. The Tsar could dismiss a minister at any time and for any reason. Since they could be hired and fired on a whim, the Tsar's ministers, with some exceptions, tended to be flatterers, telling him what he wanted rather than needed to hear. Because of Russia's size, the Tsar required a second tier of officials and administrators to carry out his will. Outside St. Petersburg, the country was divided into 34 provinces, each administered by a governor, also chosen by the Tsar. Each had at his disposal an imperial army and police to help enforce the Tsar's laws.